Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of our series, Don't Go to Church. In this series, we are peeling back what it means to be the church with a capital C, reaching out to and sharing the love of Jesus with our community. Rather than settling for being on the sidelines and not actively living out our faith, we're asking what it looks like to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. We are in week three of a series called Don't Go to Church. And yet here you are, three, three weeks in a row, coming to church. Um, but what we really meant by that is not physically about how you should not physically go to church, but we've been talking about the differences between someone that just attends on a Sunday and someone who is actively be, everybody say be, actively being the church outside of here because there is a difference and it's visible. Christians see it, but you know who is especially attuned to your difference between sitting in here and out there? Non-Christians. They're very aware of the hypocrisy. Um, Newsflash. I'm just waiting for some of you to wake up. It's fine. You're all hypocrites. You're all sinners. And you will all, at some point, live differently than what you say you believe. And this is not a good thing. This is not a good thing. Sometimes we think it's in secret or maybe, you know, I'm better than my neighbor. But at the heart level, you need Jesus. And so the first week we talked about the Good Samaritan. And how the Good Samaritan, uh, to catch some of you up, the Good Samaritan um, was the story of a man who went on a dangerous trip. He got attacked, he got beat up, and left for dead on the side of the road. Two church people walk by, ignore him, crossing to the other side. A non-churched person cares for him, bandages, bandages his wounds, and cares for him, shows him compassion, shows him mercy. And what we learned on week one is that many times, The difference between going to church and being the church is your level of compassion. And how oftentimes there are people who have in the world that have nothing to do with church or Jesus and they look way more compassionate than the church. That should be gut-wrenching to you. That should be gut-wrenching to you. Being a Christian should be more than just Sunday attendance. Or I got my fire insurance. But there should be a peculiar, weird compassion about you, the Christian's life. Let me not assume all of you are Christians because it's almost a statistical fact 
that there are those in here and who are watching online today who do not know Jesus may proclaim him with their mouth, but not with their heart. Good Samaritan, marked with peculiar compassion. And then last week, we, we saw Jesus' mission statement, right? I came for the rich. I came for comfort. I came to give you big houses. No. No, he came to preach good news to the poor, the brokenhearted. And we saw last week that a difference between going to church and being the church can oftentimes be the lens with which you see other people who are not like you. Think for just a moment about some of the things that you have thought and have run through your mind about other people that you do not know. You know it's real easy to throw stones and hate people that you don't know their story. Isn't it easier to do that? I've done it, okay? I've done it. Made big, broad-stroking judgments about people I don't know. That is not a marker of a Christian. No. No, we saw it in the Good Samaritan. We saw it in the mission statement that a Christian... Someone who does, just doesn't go to church because there are many that will go to church and not see heaven. Some of you, this could be a, a learning experience. Your attendance here today and sitting in this room makes you no more Christian than being parked in a, than standing in my garage would make you a car. Right? We've said that. A couple times. It's not as funny this time. I can tell. Some of you are really upset you come this morning. I'm sorry. (laughs) But the running thread, do you know what the running thread I've seen two weeks so far and in this week that we're about to talk about? Compassion, compassion, compassion. It is, I can instantly tell whether you're about, if you're about being a Christian or whether you're just about attendance, simply by the lens with which you see other people and the compassion with which you treat them. I don't need to see your doctoral degree, your theology statements. I need to see, what do people see? They see how you talk about others. So anyway, today we are in Luke 13. And this could be another Sunday. There, it seems to be two things that bring you to church. Uh, preaching about sex and, um, and then upsetting you. I think that's the other thing that brings you back. And it's weird. I don't know why. Um, so staff, when we're planning next year's sermons, okay. Um, now we know. All right, today I want to talk about little is much. Everybody say little. Okay, good. It's much. (laughs) All right, cool. All right, we're on the same page. Um, Look at your neighbor, say get ready. I heard a preacher say that on TV. I wanted to say it this morning. thought it was cool. I have found, and this church has found, 
that a little bit with consistency makes a way bigger difference eternally than something big that's inconsistent. Little things can make a big difference. And culture in America, and I think maybe at large, is all about the big stuff. That's what we pay attention to, right? We've come to believe, and this has trickled into the church community, that bigger is better. That bigger is better. We tend to recognize, respect, and remember things in our life that are bigger while forgetting the little things or things that are thought to be small. We'll forget those. Um, the devil loves to use this type of theology in our Christians' uh, talks and environments by saying things like this, okay? The devil will try and convince you to not do anything, to not be the church, because you're not good enough. You'll think, how can I go out and do something for the Lord? I know my own wickedness. Maybe you haven't thought about your own wickedness enough to know, but some of us think we're not good enough. Um, I'm not significant enough. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough talent. Um, you just aren't important enough to be used by God in a meaningful way. Um, but what I want to communicate to you today is that good and bad things happen in little ways and make big differences. Big differences. God does not look on the outward. He looks on the inward, right? You know how this is how God works? He's not looking at the outward and everything that you do and all the moves that you can make, but he sees your heart. Scripture would tell us that uh, you can do lots of things with your hands and your feet and say, Lord, Lord, look at all that I've done in your name. And he can look at you and say, I don't know who you are. So this is the danger we're in. Um, but this can work in good and bad ways, which brings us to the text today. Let me give you the background. Um, Brother Ray read 18 through 21, and you've heard these, many of you have heard these before. If you've grown up in church, you've heard about the mustard seed, and you have heard about this leavened bread yeast. You've heard this. You've heard this many times, maybe. If you haven't, you're about to hear about it for the first time. Um, what do we know about understanding the Bible? What interprets the Bible? The Bible interprets the Bible, okay? Culture doesn't determine what the Bible means, okay? Um, how I feel about what it says doesn't determine its meaning. The Bible interprets the Bible. So when we're trying to understand what the Bible is saying, when Jesus tells these two stories about the mustard seed and the yeast, what we have to understand is the context in which he's saying it. And so we have to go backwards. Look at 10 through 17. I'm gonna read you a story. How many of you like stories? I love stories. This is a good one. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been bent over, double, bent double, for 18 years. Everybody say 18 and was unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, 
you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her and instantly she could stand straight. How she praised God. But the leader in charge of the synagogue, or should I say the church people, was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. There are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. But the Lord replied, you hypocrites. Each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it to water? This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been healed, uh, held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she should be released even on the Sabbath? Verse 17 says, this shamed his enemies, but all the people rejoiced at the wonderful things he did. Then we see the text from today. Then Jesus said. So let me paint the right picture here. Jesus is upset with church folks for placing religion and tradition over the needs of people. Here's a woman in need. And this church this church fella, this expert in the law, the leader of the synagogue, says there are six days a week you can get healed. You didn't need, to, you shouldn't have healed her today. Just imagine this. Just, I'm, I'm trying to think of how to put it in common day terms. I tell you what, uh, take your divorce and your wrecked marriage somewhere else. We aren't doing that stuff today. This is the basic response. And, and the reason was is because the Jewish community had very strict laws about what could be done on the day of rest. And they let these man-made institutions get in the way of this woman's need. And so this, and, and I'll, I can show you elsewhere in scripture. You remember when Jesus got ticked off and flipped over the tables? Have you heard this story? He gets enraged. Do you know why he was enraged? Um, in order to make yourself right with God in, in, those, in these times, you had to bring a sacrifice and, and have the priest sacrifice it to God. They would slaughter an animal for you. But this animal had to be without spot or blemish. And so these people would bring their very best animals and they would show up to the temple. And what happened is, over time, these folks that run these outer circles, they would say, they would inspect the animal and say, ah, this isn't good enough, okay? This isn't gonna be good enough, but I tell you what, I'll help you out. I've got a vendor right over here and he'll give you a spotless lamb it's going to be 25% more, but, but it'll be spotless. It's certified. Certified spotless. Some of you are trying to figure out if that's funny or not. It's okay if it's not. And then, if somebody wanted to, okay, well, I've got to do that. Well, they, 
they would only accept temple money. They were living under Roman rule. So in their day-to-day lives, they were dealing with Roman money and they would come into the temple and now my sacrifice isn't good enough so now I'm gonna have to pay 25% more to get a good sacrifice so I can get my relationship right with God but they won't even take my money. So I tell you what, take your money over here, exchange it for temple money, but it's gonna be 25% more. And then you can connect with God. What am I getting at here? There is a tendency in mankind, in you and I, to put hurdles in front of other people to get to God that shouldn't be there. We'll place limitations. We'll place all types of lists and things to do. And this was the case here. It was always religion over people. And and then he tells these two parables. Jesus said, what is the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it? Uh, It's like a tiny mustard seed that a man planted in a garden. It grows to become a tree. Uh, Most versions say a large tree. And the birds make nests in its branches. A couple things about a mustard seed. Um, The tiniest seed sown in agriculture at this time. Tiniest seed. Um, it, it, It looks more like coffee grounds. And these seeds... They would grow a pretty good size, but not into a large tree, maybe a large bush, but not a large tree. So this is, and he's saying something very specific here about the kingdom of God. And I don't want you to miss this because this is probably going to wreck you for a little bit. I know it did me. I've been taught my entire life that when I read this text, it means, you know what, Carl, if you, you do a little bit of good, look what God can do with it. Which is true. Absolutely true. But what I found out is if you do a study on birds making the birds in the Old Testament, who he's talking to, these people would understand the Old Testament. Birds were always a sign of evil in the Old Testament. Except for one or two times, birds were evil. I was like, man, what is this saying? What does this mean? Um, Let me read this. um, uh, Close study of birds as symbols in the Old Testament. This is from a guy named Carson uh, in the Old Testament. Especially in literature of later Judaism shows that birds regularly symbolize evil and even demons or Satan. Did you know that? Now you do. The parable accurately reflects a couple things. One, that God's kingdom, okay, will be large and it will be ruled and reigned, but there will be people that set up camp within that kingdom and and under the shade of Christianity with poor intentions. And, and, And why do I read it this way? If I were just to take these parables out of the text, I could put them on a coffee mug and they would have very little implications. But hear me, what the text is saying and what he is speaking to right in this moment is that there is a tendency in our flesh, in human flesh, to corrupt the kingdom of God. With your bat with your bad attitudes and your judgments 
and wanting it the way you want it, making God whatever you want it to make, those little attitudes and those little things, just like little good things, can have big ripples. And we'll talk about those in a second. We can't miss what the text is saying because he even goes on to say, he also asks, he goes on to another another parable here. What else is the kingdom of God like? It's like the yeast or leaven of a woman used in making bread. Even though she put a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. You know right after this text, you know what Jesus talks about? Narrow is the door. Why would we look at a text that's right in the middle of Jesus reprimanding? Right in the middle of Jesus saying, hey, listen, this is the danger that will happen within Christian community. Our little attitudes of judgment and I'm better than you will corrupt the things that I'm trying to do here. I've seen it church after church and some of you have experienced it church after church. Church would be great if you weren't here. (laughs) I had a pastor tell me that when I was interning. He said, Carl, ministry would be the easiest vocation ever, brother, if people weren't involved. I I wish, you know, I really wanted to read this text today and just encourage your hearts in a way that would send you out of here And I believe it will in in a sense, but I cannot read this text with any sort of integrity and understand this text with any sort of exegetical wisdom without looking around it and the whole point that Jesus is trying to get across. You know yeast all through the New Testament, Paul does it multiple times, is correlated to sin. So when Jesus correlates the kingdom of heaven to a woman that has a little bit of yeast, um, uh, leaven is what some of your versions will say. Basically, they would make bread. They had to make bread daily back then. It, it doesn't last for months on your, your, the top of your refrigerator. I don't know where you keep yours. Okay, hold on. I mean, hold on. Just, I'll leave that over there for a second. Do you put bread in your fridge Okay, raise your hand. I gotta see. Who puts bread in the fridge? Does it keep longer? Because I had pulled some moldy bread out of a fridge before. Okay, hold on. Hold on. Do you keep the twist tie? Okay, okay, all right. Pull it over. Have you seen that one? Okay, I can't, I can't keep, keep getting distracted. I'm just telling you back then, they couldn't do that. Um, back then, they had to make bread fresh daily. Look, if you leave here and the only thing you remember is how to twist your bread shut, so help me, I'm quitting, okay? I will quit my job. You'll be looking for a new pastor. A couple things to notice about this text. Number one, here in 2021, yeast you, almost uniformly, 
Let me look at my notes here. Um, Leaven uh, was always correlated to sin because of the effect that a little bit of sin can have on the entire person, on the whole church community, on a church, just a little bit. And honestly, like this tree kind of grows into a larger tree than what a normal, a mustard seed grows into a bush, like a larger bush, not a tree, not a large tree. Birds can't make nests in, in, in what normally would be a mustard bush. And in this case, three measures of flour, I didn't realize this, but in research, I found out three measures of flour, usually you're just making bread for the day. This, this amount of bread would feed 162 people. It's saying something about the kingdom of God. It is. It's speaking about the kingdom of God, and it's saying something very, very clear. These people would have been shocked at hearing the kingdom of God compared to yeast. They would have been shocked by it. Um, Three measures, 40 liters. Uh, The idea of hiding the leaven in three measures of meal would have offended many Jews. This certainly isn't a picture of the church gradually influencing the whole world for good. Jesus announced that his kingdom community would also be threatened by corruption and impurity. The parable of the tree Campbell Morgan wrote this, the parable of the tree teaches the growth of the kingdom into a great power, okay? The kingdom of God's gonna be great. The second, the parable of the leaven says that we are prone to corrupt it. You and I are prone to corrupt it. What does this have to do with being the church? These guys were great at going to church Oh, their attendance record was flawless. And they had all types of head knowledge. But no execution. No execution. In fact, they began to work the system for their good because of their corrupt hearts. This is the danger we face. Look around you, okay? Look around you. You don't have to look far. I was just listening to a preacher the other day that basically said, hey, listen, all you got to do is ask Jesus for whatever you, whatever you need, whatever you need. If you ask him enough, he can't ignore you. He'll just say yes. And I was like, are you kidding me? There's guys out here standing in the pulpit preaching that God is some genie. I've been begging God for a brand new truck and it's still not in my driveway. This isn't the happiest message I've ever gotten to preach. Um, But I'll tell you why the Lord laid it on my heart. If we do not keep the sinful flesh, our sinful desires in check, it'll do more than wound you. It will do more than wound your family. 
just that little bit, can spread throughout the whole thing that Jesus is trying to do here and corrupt it. Now, will Jesus be sovereign and win this thing out? Absolutely. Who, who's going to reign? He will reign. But what he's pointing to in this text is our proneness to wander. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. You remember that hymn? Prone to leave the one I love. But what else does Jesus teach? Um, you think he, was, he obviously wasn't just teaching about horticulture and baking, okay? He was revealing some kingdom truth. When it comes to spiritual things, the little things, good and specifically bad, will affect more than you think it will. Um, I, I got a couple examples here. When God wanted to create a new nation, uh, he didn't use a large established family. He used Abraham and Sarah. Two people. And they were old, too old to have kids. He started an entire nation with people who were too old to have kids. <laughs> Speaking of too old to have kids, um, I had a friend uh, a few years ago. We were at another church. 60 years old, okay? I honestly thought he was headed for retirement. And they had a baby at like 62. Let me tell you something. It ain't happening. It ain't happening. When God wanted to lead his people out of Egypt, what did he do? He used Moses. He used Moses, rejected by his own people, felt he was a failure, and spent 40 years shepherding sheep, okay? When God decided to send rain at the end of the drought in the days of Elijah, he used a, big, he, he used a cloud the size of a hand. When Jesus wanted to feed 5,000, he used a small boy's lunch. When Jesus was watching people give, he wasn't impressed by the big donors, but by a widow's pennies. God isn't impressed by the big. He's looking for the small. He's looking at the small things. What did I say at the beginning? Small things done consistently make the largest impact. That's good and bad, okay? It's on both sides. When it comes to spiritual things, God uses small things to do big things. Um, let me give you a little quiz. How many of you like quizzes? Anybody like pop quizzes? He's ready. I knew he would be. All right. Who can name the last five Heisman Trophy winners? Oh, y'all thought this was a different quiz? Uh, okay, okay. Um, name the last five winners of Miss America. I'm not on the list. 
Name 10 people who have won the Nobel Prize. Some of you might be able to do that. Some of you. Name the Academy Award winners for Best Actor in 1982. Okay, another four questions. List a teacher who aided your journey in school. Name a friend that helped you through a difficult time. Name someone who taught you something worthwhile. Think of someone who made you feel appreciated and special. You see how this works? You starting to get the picture? There's really two things I'm talking about this morning. One, we should be overly aware of our sinful state, our need for Jesus, and the little implications of letting sin slide in our lives, how it can derail the work the Lord wants to do through us. But then also, just as much as a little bad can do a whole lot, God takes little insignificant things and does major work with it. Oh, he does. Oh, he does. Look at, look, look at me. Look at me. I cut grass. I grew up in a trailer with a divorced family a wildly hypocritical life. I was the weekend Christian warrior. But all throughout the week, I don't know that you would have known that. I've seen the ripple of my sinfulness. Yeah. I've seen it in my marriage. I can always tell when I'm getting farther away from the Lord. I can always tell when I'm beginning to drift. I'm not the husband I need to be. I'm not the father I need to be. My temper flares. I'm short. I'm not patient with people. My compassion level drops and my lenses shift the farther away I get from the Lord. But I've also seen what the Lord can do. If you just Lay before him everything you have. Give it to him. As the band comes back, and we get ready to close. Um, the people who made a difference in your life are not the ones with the most credentials or the most money or the most awards or the biggest platform. The, they are the ones who do the little things with a big heart. If we could get this down today, what are the implications of what, I'm, what the word is telling us? What are the implications? Let me tell you what the implications are. We get this wrong. Okay? We get this wrong. And I often fear how the Lord can use us. 
I meet with churches, churches often and pastors. Where their churches, you, I don't know if you know this, 85% of churches are declining in America. Did you know that? Declining. You know why? It's become me-centered. It's become all about me. I, I just, and, and I'll tell you how the progression happens. I just go to church. I go to church. It becomes routine. I take for granted all the Lord brought me from. And then next thing you know, I, I'm, I'm all, I have preferences about how I want church. And so I'll jump churches here and there because um, I, I, it needs to be about me and what I'm about. And the next thing you know, you have churches doing this number because it's not about God. It's not about being. It's about pretending. It's about pretending. Can, can I encourage you with something today? The Lord can use you to impact someone else's life if you but make the decision to be instead of just pretending. And the Lord can do in your heart things you never could fathom. Um, You'll find your lenses shifting. All of a sudden, people that you used to have some harsh judgments for, all of a sudden, you see them differently. And then when you see them differently, all of a sudden, the same compassion, the same mercy, the same grace with which you were showered, you can then shower on those around you. God is calling the church big C, but I just know you. God is calling Transformation Church to be the church. Oh, oh God, don't let us be content and leaning back and walking to the other side of the road and making harsh judgment and lobbing rocks from a distance, but let us get close to those it's it's difficult to. Let us embrace those who maybe don't deserve it. I promise you, I promise you, his word is true. I promise you his word is true. And he will work in it. He will work in it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We're going to get a, I want to pray for you first. And then we're going to take a moment just to worship. Father, thank you to, to this morning for your word over our hearts. One, with an encouragement that your kingdom is much bigger than us. And you will complete what you start. And that you can use us to do great things. But Lord, have our hearts, through your Holy Spirit, be sensitive to your warning. That we still live in a fallen world and that we are fallen people redeemed only by you and your grace and that our sinfulness can infect the work you're doing. It can infect it. 
People can be wounded by it. I know some. Lord, help us today to put to death the things that are not of you in us and renew a right spirit within us, a spirit of compassion, a spirit with lenses to see others with love and grace and not judgment in comparison. Let us not hold people and place hurdles in front of people to get to you, but let us be people that clear out hurdles and, and, and be people of reconciliation that help build bridges to you. Let us see those things. Make us aware of them. We're not aware. We're not able to see them on our own. Please, God, help us. Cleanse our eyes. Cleanse our hearts. That they would be acceptable in your sight. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA, located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.